You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. It sounds like you've got your bedroom voice going. Really? Maybe because it's earlier in the morning for you today. Yeah, I'm still waking up. Well, today we're going to be talking to Taylor Nolan. So Taylor's best known for her appearance on season 21 of ABC's The Bachelor and season four of Bachelor in Paradise, uh, where she started talking about emotional intelligence. Uh, So she goes by the Emotionally Intelligent Bachelorette. Uh, Since appearing on The Bachelor, she's founded her own psychotherapy practice and has been the host of Let's talk about it, a podcast for the last three years. And she has just recently started her PhD in clinical sexology. So I'm excited to chat with Taylor. But before we get to Taylor, uh, I want to answer some questions and talk about labia. The labia. The labia, because I received so many questions about how the labia are supposed to look, uh, even what you're supposed to do with them. So I wanted to get to a few of those. And I want to say thank you to our sponsor, letsgetchecked.com. They offer home STI as well as a range of other health tests. They mail you the kit. You provide a sample, mail it back, and you get your secure results online in a matter of days. Check them out at letsgetchecked.com. And please use code Dr. Jess, D-R-J-E-S-S, to save a few dollars and also so that they know that you heard about it here. Let'sgetchecked.com with code Dr. Jess. All right, labia. Labia, labia, labia. I have all these questions. So why are we so obsessed with the way our labia look? How can I get over thinking that my lips are ugly? An ex said something not so nice about my lips. How do I get over it? And then some general questions about labiaplasty. So I think we can start with why are we so obsessed with the way our labia look? I got to ask you, are you obsessed with the way your penis looks? Are you concerned about the way your penis looks? No, I don't generally think about it. You're and not concerned that it only has one eye? <laughs> no. The one-eyed I've snake? Ex- I've accepted that. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, but I don't think about the way that my penis looks. It's not something that crosses my mind. I mean, I'm also not in the dating realm, so maybe that's why I don't, I'm not worried. I mean, not that I don't care what you think, but at the same time, it just doesn't cross my mind. But with, with labia, I think we see fewer of them perhaps you know we have so few opportunities to see real naked bodies so we tend to draw our expectations from porn because porn is the only place we get to see naked bodies and see genitalia up close but porn as we know is not generally representative of the general population. The The bodies depicted tend to reflect a very specific look or standard and oftentimes don't necessarily reflect what we see in ourselves. So when it comes to see how we view our labia, I think sometimes we want to thicken or shorten or lengthen or lighten ours to match what we see in porn. And these unrealistic expectations are not only intensified by the fact that we don't even talk about our labia, right? We don't know what our friends' labia look like, but uh, I think it really reinforces these feelings of shame. I think that people with a penis would comment that, you know, they are concerned about the way that their penis looks, but I don't think there's the same emphasis on 
um, modifying your penis with the exception, of course, of having every, like people want a bigger penis. Okay. That's just the. Do you want a bigger penis? I'm content with my penis. If I'd asked you that a little while ago, would you have said the same thing? When I was younger, I wanted to be a human tripod. (laughs) Because your other two legs got tired. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In case I needed some help walking. No, but now I think I'm comfortable with what I have. I also don't think there's the same pressure on men to be concerned necessarily with the way that their penis looks. I'm not Maybe saying not that... aesthetically, but I think size-wise, there is a lot of pressure because that's probably one of the most common emails I get. How do I make my penis bigger? And unfortunately, there's, there's not a lot I can do. But I, I got to ask you, when Just you were you younger... you personally or, or <laughs> other... Or, or... I mean, I can make your penis bigger, but it's temporary. <laughs> and I may not be in the mood. But... For you, I think about, okay, so what would be the advantage when you look back, you know, 10, 20 years ago when you wanted a bigger penis, what would have been the advantage of having a bigger penis? How would have it sparked joy in your life? No, or enriched (laughs) your sex life. Yeah. Um, I think it would be more just, first of all, just showing people. (laughs) (laughs) If you had a bigger penis, you'd Everyone come look at me. No, Um, I, I don't mean, I actually want to just randomly show people. What I meant was I think there is this connection between um, how good you are and the size of your penis. Uh, yes, of I think course. that there is um, a, a competition amongst other, I mean, in my group again, with other guys. Mm-hmm. Just like, even though it was something you weren't like, hey, how big is yours? Have you measured it lately? Yes, I measured it from the bottom of my rectum through to the front. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, it's a status thing is but, what you're saying. Yes. That makes sense. And, and so while... Penises are focused on size. Labia are focused also on size, but on color. Uh, And, you know, this person asked, how do I get over thinking that my lips are ugly? And I I know that there's this pressure to love your body, but I think it's also okay to to know that you don't have to love everything about your body at every moment in time. But I do think it can be useful to consider where these negative messages and feelings come from. So were you told that, you know, what was between your legs was dirty when you were young? Uh, if so, do you know otherwise now? So for the, the vagina, for example, it's a self-cleaning oven. It's like the cleanest thing I've got. Uh, you know, were, were you shamed for touching yourself as a child or a teenager? And if you were, can you reframe these messages to enjoy your body and derive pleasure from from touch, from masturbation, from any type of sex? And can you think about the health benefits of, of pleasure? Because the size of your labia is unlikely. Now, of course, there can be exceptions, but is unlikely to determine the pleasure for you and definitely not determining the pleasure for your partner. And I think we have to think about, you know, all the benefits of, of taking pleasure from our bodies instead of criticizing them, you know, stress reduction and lower anxiety and improved mood, a better night's sleep, a better sexual functioning. And I do find that, and I hear this from clients all the time, the more you learn to derive pleasure from your body and the more you allow your body to perform for you in functional ways that feel good, whether it's sex or dance or sport or any form of self-expression, the more likely you are to develop either a positive or neutral attitude toward your body. But I will ask you this, and I think I've asked you this before, have you ever thought about the appearance of a partner's labia? It's so funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly where I was headed with this. Uh, No, I haven't. And number two, I also, when I think about you and I think about our sex life and I think about when we first got started, even if there was something that you might have felt uncomfortable with, it's not something that would have resonated with me. It's not like I would have been like, oh my goodness, 
her labia are too big or too small or too thin or too fat or any of those things. Mm -hmm. It's not. And more importantly, why would the partner be making you feel bad about that? Well, that's great because somebody else sent me this question saying that an ex said that they were too long. So the labia were too long and I can't get it out of my head. I'm always wondering what my new boyfriend is thinking. And to go back to your ex or any partner, you know, if your partner is shaming you for your labia or any part of your body, I think they might want to consider how they feel about their own body and how they might work on their own you know, bodily self-esteem in general, because oftentimes when we're critical of others, it's because we're avoiding confronting our own self-criticism. And then also it comes down to, you know, I've only seen one type of labia because I've only watched porn and they tend to kind of be, I mean, not that I've watched all porn, but I think they tend to be like shorter or smaller. And so sometimes something new is just something we're discovering. And I think with a new partner, I mean, don't you feel that you're just excited to discover their body? Absolutely. I mean, that question that you just asked, your eloquent answer is so detailed and thoughtful. Mine is, number one, they're probably not even realizing your anything with your labia. And number two, (laughs) they're probably just super excited to be with you and the excitement of uh, being with somebody knew that they're excited about They just it. want lips on lips on they lips. Just, yeah. <laughs> like they just, just want to put go with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I also receive questions about labiaplasty, actually more from reporters than from actual listeners or people who read the blog. And so it, it's interesting because, of course, you know, our line is, you know, your labia are fine. You don't need to have labiaplasty. You don't want to be pressured by unrealistic portrayals of beauty. There are certainly risks with labiaplasty, um, which often involves making the lips smaller, just to clarify. Uh, You know, there are damages that can be done. You know, I had another person who had a labiaplasty and they also uh, cut away at the the hood of the clitoris. And I think I've maybe spoken about this before, but the plastic surgeon called me and said, I didn't touch the clitoris. Can you explain to this person that it could not have affected their sexual functioning? So they were calling me saying, oh, my patient says they're not having orgasms anymore or that they're not as sensitive, but I didn't touch their clitoris. And I'm thinking, well, you did touch their clitoris. You touched their hood of the clitoris, which is the foreskin of the clitoris that slides over the head and the internal shaft. And so, you know, certainly we, we want people to feel decent in their bodies and not feel pressure. But I also want to say that anything you do to your body is a personal choice because I do know a woman who found that her labia got in the way of a lot of things. So she found felt that it got in the way of her clothing and it actually got in the way of intercourse. Uh, Post-menopause particularly, she felt really uncomfortable physically where the lips would sort of push inside. And so she just, it didn't work for her. And so she opted to have a labiaplasty to reduce the length of her lips. And she was happy with the results. So I, I don't want people to take that and say, oh, I need to make my lips smaller. And I do want you to feel great in your body. And please don't worry about the aesthetic about it, or at least feel neutral, right? I think we moved from the body positivity movement to the body neutrality movement. I mean, I still think it's great to, you know, feel some great things about your body, whether it's the way it moves or how it works for you or how you feel when you have an orgasm. So I don't want you to take this story to suggest that, oh yeah, I should have a labiaplasty. In her case, it was getting in the way of her sex life, not from an aesthetic perspective, but she was actually having trouble uh, with intercourse and found it uncomfortable and this helped for her. So that's an outlier story, but I also don't want to dismiss it and just say labiaplasty bad. You know, I think you're the expert in your own experience 
experience. I hope you have the tools and the support to undo all of the negative messaging around <laughs> around the way our bodies look. And I mean, I've told you my philosophy before, which is that my body is what carries me through life. And it's just this vessel that carries the human being that is Jess. And I, I don't have any time to to dislike it. I want to treat it as well as I can, but definitely not obsess over it and give it as much comfort and pleasure as I can with the exception of my five-inch heels, <laughs> which probably are not good for it. I mean, easier said than done, but I do like your approach, which is just trying to remain, even if nothing else, neutral about your body. Because when you do reflect on it, like you just said, it it's you got one. Right. You can make it a little bit better. You can feel neutral or good about it, but you get one you know, make the best of it. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. I do love my body. I love all the things it does for me. I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. I can name body parts that I like, and I, I challenge everybody to do that. Like, are you able to say, I love my thighs. I love my skin. I love my stomach. I love my breasts. I love my um, armpits, whatever it is you love. Because I put that out on my Instagram once, and people were really responsive to this meme. It was a person looking in the mirror, and it says, which bit should I alter? must be British, which bit should I alter? And the answer was, you know, the culture as opposed mm. to a bit on my body. And Ooh. I asked people to say, <laughs> to, to post in the comments, what part of your body do you like? And some people did, but a lot of people um, bothered to comment, or uh, I shouldn't say bothered, a lot of people took the time to comment, but had difficulty saying something they like. And that's the other thing. We're not supposed to say what we like about ourselves. I'm, I sound cocky to people when I do, but that, that's okay because I got this one life. Anyhow, uh, we have so much to talk about, including sex clubs and uh, get to some of your questions as well with Taylor. So let's go ahead and bring Taylor on. Welcome, Taylor. Nice to talk to you again. It's been a little while. Yes, it has been, but I'm so excited to be here and to chat with you again. So many things to catch up on. <laughs> we do. You know, last time we spoke on your podcast, we were talking about sex clubs because you had recently visited Toronto and you had the chance to check out Oasis Aqua Lounge, which is really just around the corner from my house. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was quite an experience. I was so nervous about going and texting you a bunch before I went, <laughs> which I super appreciated all of your input. You know, I was like, do I wear shoes? Like, what do I wear? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a great experience and um, loved coming to Toronto. Super sad that it's been, I haven't been there literally since New Year's. So I was there for like two days of 2020. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And probably how many days I was here and then all of a sudden it's been seven months. So Oasis was your first sex club. How did it strike you? Kind of what, what stood out? What surprised you? Was it exactly what you were hoping for? <laughs> I was, so we went on like, uh, gosh, it might've been like a Sunday night, I think it was. So I was like, I know this isn't like prime time for folks to be like at sex club. I was like, I don't really know what prime time is like Friday, Saturday night. I was surprised that it's like a house almost. Like I wasn't expecting that. I don't know why I thought it'd be like a, a club kind of a vibe. Um, I did like that it was broken up into different like rooms and areas and that there was like a couple's uh, level and appreciated that. Um, I think like <laughs> it made sense that the couches and whatnot were, um, I don't know what the material was. It was almost like, like a pleather. 
Yeah, yeah. Like it, it didn't, it almost felt, I don't know, somewhat sterile, you know, because like they need to be able to easily just wipe things down. But <laughs> it did just, I was kind of like, I don't know, do I sit on this? Like I was grabbing all the towels and <laughs> putting them to make sure like I was fully covered when I did lay down. Um, I squirted everywhere when I was there. Um, there wasn't anyone that like we wanted to include in our sexual experience, unfortunately. Um, but we still had a really fun time and people were very intentional about consent, which I super appreciated. Like a woman came up and was like, you know, do you mind if I watch? And I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) it was, it was overall really fun. Um, you know, nerves and a little bit of awkwardness at first of like, do I walk around my bra and underwear? Do I walk around naked? Like, what am I going to feel comfortable with? But was super happy to have a partner there that, you know, I can talk through all of those things with, and that felt like I had nice support being there. So I would definitely go back again. Um, they have like naked karaoke night. I was like, that'd be so fun. Like I didn't think I would enjoy so much just being like naked in front of other people, but it was almost like you were kind of a part of something and like they were naked too. And it kind of took away a lot of the, um, I don't know, the weirdness of like your body. Like it allowed me to just feel a little bit more comfortable in my body. So it was a very different experience because like where else are you naked around a bunch of people? like yeah absolutely (laughs) maybe a gym locker room and even that is like very (laughs) awkward because it's like is my body gonna be sexualized is it not and at Oasis you know in some ways yes it was sexualized but it also was just kind of like we're all in this space I I remember I felt like that when we went to Desire for the the first time and this was quite a while ago now and I remember thinking oh my gosh how am I gonna feel the first time you know, I'm around all these other people that are naked and how am I going to feel about myself? How am I going to feel about others? Am I going to be aroused? Am I not? Am I supposed to be like, what, what is happening? There's just so many questions going through your mind. And then you get there and everybody else is, well, those that were comfortable being naked were naked Mm -hmm. and it was just not a thing. It was like, okay, whatever. You know, it's like you, you do what works for you. And that's, that's always Mm -hmm. the first question I get from people. They want to know what to wear. You were more particular about the footwear. (laughs) (laughs) And here's me. What do you walk around I like that. I'm like, you need to wear shoes. Please wear shoes for your own hygiene, wear shoes. You know, all I care about is, is the hygiene, but yeah, everybody wants to know what to wear. And really you want to wear what you feel comfortable in, what you feel sexy in, probably something that makes it easy to undress if you want to undress in public. So some people will undress in the locker rooms and put their clothes in the lockers, but some of us like to kind of peel the layers away Mm -hmm. so I I don't know a a full-on tearaway leisure suit you got like some 90s tearaway pants yeah (laughs) I wore like a like a wrap dress but I did take it off in the locker room and then I walked around in bra and underwear and then after I think we went into the pool and that was what was like, okay, I'm going to get fully naked and go in the pool. And I like never really been in a pool fully naked either. Um, And then after I got out of the pool, I was like, well, I've already been naked. So I don't really need to put it back on. Uh, But I can imagine like kind of uh, what you were saying about not being sure when you go, especially like as a person with a penis that like 
I would imagine that there would be different anxieties there of like, am I supposed to be aroused? You know, how am I going to feel if I'm not erect and I'm walking around here? Am I going to be judged in certain ways? Like I would imagine that there might potentially be some extra anxiety of almost like a performance anxiety as someone with a penis going into that kind of environment. Yeah, it was it was layered. It was like, are you supposed to be aroused yeah. right now? Are you not supposed to be? And just you, then you start thinking too much about things and then you get in your own head and it's not at all that situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Actually, what I hear from so many couples who are in like the swing lifestyle or who frequent sex clubs or these sex, you know, clothing optional resorts that also have an erotic edge to them is that a, a number of the folks with penises report that they really don't struggle with erection or get in their head when they're at home, but in those more public environments, mm-hmm. they do because there are so many more eyes on them. They feel a sense of performance pressure. And it's so mm-hmm. funny because I've, I've, not funny, but I've worked through that with so many different penises. And for many of them, it actually isn't a ton of work. As soon as they hear the reassurance that, hey, yeah. you're normal. Yeah, that happens. Mm-hmm. Keep playing. Yeah. Follow, follow the pleasure. If it comes back, it comes back. If it doesn't, don't worry. And mm-hmm. as a, I, who did I have on the, oh, I was chatting with Dr. Lex mm-hmm. and they were saying, don't worry, it won't be the last direction of your life. Like if you don't get one now, you'll get one later. Yeah. Dr. Lex also made reference to, for those of us with penises, you can use other parts of your body. Like don't <laughs> worry if it doesn't, you know, if it's, yeah. if you're not feeling the moment, then use your hands, use your tongue, use your knees, mm-hmm. use your toes, whatever, you know, it, you can ex- expand upon the repertoire of things you can use. Keep those toes away from Keep my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But other people are very into toes. I just happen to be less so. So in terms of the sex club, have you been to another since or was that your first and only because of COVID? That was my first, gosh, that was in December. I think that was in either November or December. And then I went back for New Year's in Toronto and haven't been back to Toronto since. And I really don't know. I think that there are, there's more sex parties here in Seattle that I've been told um, than there is like an actual sex club. And there I was supposed to go to New York at one point and there's a bunch there um Mm -hmm. and so I would love to go to one of those but yeah now that we're in COVID era um I don't I don't foresee that happening for a very long time um when I last had seen my partner in January in Toronto that was the only person that I had had sex with because Right after that was when COVID kind of came up a little bit in February, then March, and didn't see anyone until he then came to visit me in June. And I was like, it's been a while since something, someone else has penetrated me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you talk talk really openly because in part you live your life in the public eye. I'm I'm sure you don't show everybody everything, but you talk about relationships and sex. And recently a story was picked up. You talked about the fact that the person you marry Mm -hmm. is not going to be the only person you have sex with for the rest of your life. So 
And of course, that gets picked up. You receive a lot of judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have you have so many followers, of course, publicly and specifically on Instagram, mm-hmm. where they're all over you with projecting their own <laughs> their own issues yep. onto you. Um, so, give some context to that. How do you how yeah. do you identify or how do you describe your mm-hmm. your own relationship style? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think like when I first had sex, my first boyfriend. I thought I was like 15, 14 at the time. And I thought, I mean, first, even before that, I had this weird rule of like, I'm not going to have sex with anyone until I'm 18 because that's when I'm officially an adult. And that's for adults. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then, you know, rationalized all these things to unpack about, quote, virginity. But, uh, you know, I was convinced that like he was going to be the person that I married. My first love was going to be the person that I married. And he was the first person I'd had sex with. And I think maybe my first relationship was a bit unconventional in the fact that he was the first person I explored, um, you know, partnered sex with. And he was also the first person that I experienced threesomes with. And I think given that my first relationship also included other partners sexually, kind of like switched up those kind of uh, very patriarchal um, thought processes that I had prior of like, you know, I'm going to save myself till I'm 18 and I'm going to marry that person. And instead it was more of this like, okay, if I really look at this, if I really look at what marriage quote is supposed to be, this is going to be like the person you have sex with for the rest of your life. Like, this one person and I just it seemed so unrealistic to me and it seemed like so much pressure and when my first partner and I did explore and have other people um you know come into our sexual relationship it was so much fun and it was so playful and a space for curiosity and a space for exploration that I just thought well wouldn't this be great to have in a long-term relationship um, in a marriage, right? Like that was the kind of playfulness and openness that I would want to have in a marriage. And, you know, unpacking that as I kind of became a bit of a serial monogamer that um, it it was a lot of pressure to do that. But it also um, required, you know, in order to step out of that pressure to some kind of openness required a bit of emotional intelligence, inquired a bit of openness, um, and curiosity from that other partner. Um, and to me, it's just, it's made sense. Uh, you know, I think having choice in a relationship is so important as well as feeling empowered and respected in, the kind of relationship that you want to have with someone, that it's a mutual negotiation of rules and boundaries and experiences and needs and desires that are agreed upon in that relationship. And I think the most important piece of that for me is knowing that that negotiation is ongoing, that that is a continuous conversation that you'll have throughout your relationship as check-ins and for me going into any relationship, I always say, I know that the person that I marry is not going to be the person, the one and only person that I have sex with for the rest of my life. And this is why. And if you want to be in a long-term relationship with me, I would love for us to have experiences like 
being able to go to a sex club, uh-huh. being able <laughs> to explore sexually with and without each other and trying to figure out, okay, how, what kinds of people can I have that kind of relationship with, you know? Uh, but all those conversations, I think, start even before any kind of commitment to the relationship has been started. And well, that that's interesting you say that because people often ask, well, when do we start these conversations? And I would say it's never too soon. It yeah. is never too soon. Now, it's also never too late. Well, yeah. I don't want to say never, but it's often not too late. Yeah. But I always think also philosophically. So I have this nice relationship with Brandon. We have, you know, just the best life. I feel really, really lucky in spite of these, you know, circumstances that are more limiting right now. Mm-hmm. And I ask myself, and we were talking about this in the car the other day. We always have the best conversations on our car rides about why would I, why would I want to hold you back from pleasure? If something feels good to you, if something is appealing to you, mm-hmm. if something brings you, you know, excitement and fulfillment what holds me back from, you know, indulging with you or supporting you? I don't even like the word of permission. Like, I don't want to say giving you permission, but indulging and encouraging you to explore that curiosity. Now, that doesn't mean I'm okay with everything, but just from a philosophical perspective or even an emotional, emotionally intelligent or literate perspective, Mm -hmm. I think I actually need to answer that question first. So the question isn't necessarily, hey, would you be comfortable with this? But I think the question is, okay, so if you're comfortable, what makes you comfortable? And if you're uncomfortable, what makes you uncomfortable? Because it would be fair to say, okay, uh, I'm afraid that that could lead to another emotional attachment that might undermine ours or take away time from ours. Like Mm -hmm. those could be very realistic conversations to have. And so that's why when you say that this is an ongoing conversation, it's Mm -hmm. not one sit down and sign a contract and agree to it for life it really really resonates with me and i think that you know we've been together forever and i like the way that you've described me in this relationship so far you know he's nice um forever i'm just kidding so i think about how long we've been together and how things have evolved and how it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to put a ling- put language or a box or a specific label on it. But what I like about this relationship is that we're just, we're open to conversation, to mm-hmm. discussion. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean everything's a go. And I think yeah. that, you know, when people run with headlines, you know, when you say the person I marry isn't going to be the only person with whom I have sex for the rest of my life, people focus on one specific thing, that you're having sex with a bunch of people. Yeah. And that's what I, I think. I am- <laughs> Right. (laughs) Right. Meanwhile, you're just waiting for Zach to get over the border those limited number of times. Uh, Now, you recently came out as a couple publicly. Mm -hmm. Uh, How was that a relief? Was that a burden? How did people respond? How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I think, you know, (laughs) it's a really interesting process. Um, It's different because, you know, this isn't my first relationship coming out of the public eye anymore this is now the second relationship um and so uh, it was also different for me because Zach does have an Instagram my previous partner did not have an Instagram and there's all these fears and insecurities that uh, have came up and I think it also was interesting because I went about sharing my relationship with Zach very different than how I've ever shared a relationship in the past and I was really honest about all of our gray area. I mean, our relationship started out as just a sexcation. And I was just like, 
we both want to ravage each other from jump. Our first conversation included conversation around polyamory and we had a lot of things in common and he felt like someone that felt safe and was just so hot. My God. I was like, I can't look at you because words are hard. (laughs) And we both just really wanted to fuck each other a lot well, and t- taylor that's how we raise him in toronto yeah i mean <laughs> he's a toronto it just, boy it's fantastic and it's the water <laughs> yeah and it you know i shared that i shared yeah like i'm having a sexcation like it's not this might just be a one trip thing we might want to be intentional about starting other trips you know we're going to be communicative about our feelings in this and it's not to say that having a sexcation means that you don't have any feelings for that person it doesn't mean that it's quote casual sex um and I was really honest about that up front so people did kind of already have a feel for our relationship a little bit and I think it's always it was much more scary thinking about doing it than it was actually doing it. Um, and I'm happy that I did because I do like to share the positive, joyful things in my life. And he is a huge part of that. Um, I think it's, you know, we definitely have conversations around boundaries, around what what is okay to share, what we don't feel comfortable sharing. I mean, even sharing like going to the sex club, you know, that was a conversation that I have with him beforehand of, you know, how do you feel about that? You know, I might not be saying at that point he was anonymous, you know, people didn't know it was uh, Zach, but you know, the people that worked with him in the office that we like recorded those episodes in with you being on the podcast, Jess, like those people at his work followed me on Instagram (laughs) and, you know, learned that, you know, he makes me come a lot. Um, So it's, it's, it's always an ongoing conversation of boundaries. And for me, you know, the things that I do share, I'm like, I hope that this is educational. I hope it's relatable. I hope it helps people feel less alone. I hope it feels empowering for me to stand in my truth in an honest, authentic, vulnerable way. So like there's kind of these levels to check of, well, what is the purpose of sharing this? What impact could that have if I share it? How could that make us feel? And also, you know, other people as well. So there's a lot of thought that goes behind it. I definitely, my biggest fear was like, he's so hot. He's so hot. And I was <laughs> well, like, and you said, you said that he makes you come a lot. So let's get into like the nitty yeah. gritty. What what makes him so good for you? Because people are always asking, you know, how can I be a better lover? How can yeah. I help my partner to have an orgasm? Or what you know, their language is usually, how do I make give them an orgasm? But how, yeah. you know, what is it about him that makes him a great lover? Yeah. So it's not about technique. I mean, it is partially, but before technique, even it's about like creating that emotional and physical safety point blank number one if someone doesn't feel like safe and cared for I'll be I'll I'll speak for myself if I don't feel safe or cared for or valued as a person then as a sexual being no part of me is going to feel that it is all right for me to open up sexually and even experience orgasm or come or ejaculation whatever um so the number one thing to me that makes him an amazing lover is that I feel cared for I feel cared for emotionally I feel cared for mentally spiritually 
and physically and sexually. So knowing that I feel cared for on all those other levels makes sex feel much more like an inviting, exciting space. Um, We also very much create like a judgment-free zone of sex and maintain like a... I think almost like a commitment to curiosity, you know, like he'll lick my armpit and be like, how did that feel? <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and I'm like, I don't know, do it a little bit more and we'll see. And I'll make out my armpit. And then I'm like, that actually kind of felt good. I wouldn't have expected that. And we'll laugh about it and, you know, just continue to communicate throughout it. Um, so having that like curiosity and that, safety to explore you know allows me to feel comfortable and safe having my body express orgasm like I could be holding myself in there's a perfect example of this actually from like two weeks ago you know I've I'd only ever seen this in porn where like the person is like DJing like wiggle wiggle wah on the clit like a ton or using a toy like a wand and the person's just like sitting there like with their legs kind of open and then it just like gushes everywhere and I always would see that and be like Mm-mm, they're doing something else <laughs> like Mm-mm, there's no way that that like they're just sitting there and they're just able to like ejaculate everywhere like that like no way they're they're a sex worker they know what they're doing this is like some kind of performance and a few weeks ago he was like DJing it up on my clip and <laughs> it started to feel like really intense. And usually that's when I would kind of close up my legs or I would kind of like resituate and like, you know, bring him down to make out with me something. And in the past, that's what I've done. And people would say, keep your legs open, you know, like, no, like keep going. But I would just kind of be like, no, I'm OK. <laughs> and he said that he said, keep your legs open when I started to close them and I recognized like in that moment I was like oh yeah I was closing my legs I do that every other time like I'm okay he asked me to keep my legs open I'm gonna I I trusted him to to walk me through this other experience of pleasure that in the past kind of scared me honestly and I kept my legs open and like a minute later I was like gushing everywhere like literally exactly that scene that you've seen in porn and I was Mm -hmm. like so surprised and afterwards we talked about it and like a situation like that I never experienced with a previous partner because I didn't actually trust and feel safe to allow my body to express and that's made such a difference with my that, that makes that makes so much sense especially when you start talking about the emotional side so I often talk oh, yeah. about your your core erotic feeling and how that core erotic feeling can vary from person to person and of mm-hmm. course everybody want nobody wants to feel actually unsafe although mm-hmm. of course you know in the context of a safe relationship it can be yeah. fun to toy with feelings of you know being threatened or whatnot totally. but you know core erotic feeling you talk about feeling safe I know that Brandon's core erotic feeling tends to center around being relaxed yeah it's yeah. about being relaxed yeah. which oh. I'm sure is tied to some degree to safety and and mm-hmm. 
you know, security as well. For sure. But I think, um, you, you know, exploring that emotional erotic connection is so important, right? How do you need to feel? And I love that you pull in the elements of the physical, the emotional, the practical, the spiritual, the mm-hmm. relational. All of those are, are so important. And we don't spend a ton of time talking about them, right? We don't really explore mm-hmm. our values in depth. And so this comes back to what you said a moment ago around ongoing conversations. It's not like Brennan's been with me. We've been together almost 20 years. Yeah. And you don't, you barely know about me because I barely know about myself in these areas. No, but we really have just scratched the surface in terms of, you know, my being introspective, my sharing with you and your, you know, your listening and learning and exploring. But you also made reference to the, to the conversations that we have during our long drives. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I would agree that whether we're on a hike or on a drive, we have these conversations and they get deep and there's no judgment. I know that that was mm-hmm. a topic that's come up a couple of times. And I feel like we can speak openly and not be afraid of what the other person is going to, like, I don't feel like I'm ever being judged. And I feel like I can be very honest with you. And that strengthens and allows the conversation to go deeper and to go to areas that I don't think I'd otherwise be comfortable going to, to explore and figure out more about myself. Which yeah. Is really cool. And when that the judgment comes up, because, you know, feeling a little bit of judgment can be a natural reaction when you're uncomfortable with something. I always think it's an interesting space to explore. If if something sets something off in you where you're like, oh, that's awful or that's gross or that's da- too dangerous or that would be the end of the relationship, that's fine to feel that feeling. And then once you've maybe calmed down and you're feeling okay with yourself or okay with a partner again, to really explore, okay, so what is it about this that makes me so uncomfortable? And sometimes if you really take the time you can dig dig a little deeper or dig into a different crevice and and find pleasure in that, find excitement, find curiosity. Sometimes the things that turn us off most in, you know, in the beginning or upon first consideration end up being like our hottest fantasies. I felt that way over the last couple of years, starting to reflect on things that I was really uncomfortable with, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago. Um, and even though we haven't done them, thinking about them now and allowing myself to kind of go there is is very like it's erotic and you know the, this these principles that you're talking about right now uh, i you could apply them to anything like when somebody angers me it's like why am i really angry about mm-hmm. this and i take a minute and get to the root issue here for just just a second like why am i so mad well it's not about this it's about the underlying how i feel wronged or whatever it is and then <laughs> you really get down to the layers and make i make i find i make real progress mm-hmm. um, personally which is great now, Taylor, you're, you know, you're a psychotherapist, so you, you share a lot about your life here, but I'd love to utilize your skills as well before we let you go with a, a question from a listener mm-hmm. that I think uh, will be well aligned with your area of expertise. So this person writes in, I like to read the whole thing. It's not mm-hmm. too long, this one. So it says, uh, I absolutely love watching DP, meaning double penetration, porn. I picture my wife as the girl and I'm one of the guys. It turns me on like crazy the thought of my wife and me and another guy we tried it one time with a close male friend and it was great i want to try it again but i am really insecure and don't trust strangers and when i'm done watching and masturbating the urge for that threesome goes away instantly is it normal that the urge goes away and should we try an mmf threesome 
Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, First, I want to maybe provide a little bit of education here on that feeling going away, on that interest in uh, the threesome just kind of disappearing when you're finished uh, with masturbation. And that's part of like the arousal cycle. That's part of our uh, disgust response. (laughs) Um, When we are aroused, that disgust response is way lowered, right? Things that Uh, we might consider to be um, off limits or a little gross or not interested in, we might feel differently when we are like in the midst of passion and super aroused having whatever kind of sex it is. Um, And once you do complete that arousal cycle and you're kind of coming off of that, that high almost, it is totally normal to look back at that and be like, oh, actually that, eh, I don't really feel the same way about that. That's part of why, um, you know, people often report like just wanting to close their laptop after they uh, ejaculate or orgasm from watching porn because now what they're watching on the screen, they're seeing in a very different (laughs) lens and they're like, what is this? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But while you're aroused, uh, that disgust response is is lowered. Um, so that doesn't sound super unnormal or, you know, whatever normal is these days. But um, it doesn't sound uh, unnatural to lose interest in that when you're no longer aroused. It sounds like they did have a great experience the first time around. And if you can recreate that, then that sounds fantastic. But it also sounds like there are boundaries around doing this with strangers and kind of what we've talked about already around communication and safety is that there might need to be some ongoing conversations, right? There might be um, safe spaces where you can find a third person who would be interested, who both of you would like and have some of those maybe uncomfortable conversations around boundaries so that you can kind of check in with yourself and check that jealousy and check those insecurities. Um, It is also totally okay for that to remain a fantasy. It doesn't have to become a reality at all. Um, But it does sound like given that you had that one experience, you want more of it. Um, So maybe it is, you know, revisiting that with that friend if that went well and saying, you know, is that something you'd be interested in doing again? Like, I really enjoyed that. You know, how did you feel about it? to where perhaps that is your safe go-to person. But there are also communities of, of people and people that you can meet. Granted, it's COVID, so it might become <laughs> a bit more difficult. Uh, I would suggest or maybe recommend that, you know, there might not be ways where you feel comfortable with another person joining, but you can also use things like toys to kind of recreate that fantasy in a maybe safer way, uh, you know, where you can use a dildo to help provide that double penetration. Um, and that might be something that still gets you off. That feels exciting. It's a little bit different. It's not the exact fantasy that you're having, uh, but it might, it might stimulate you in a similar way. 
Um, Absolutely. Yeah. If you can, you know, talk your way through it and yeah. get your mind into it, it sounds like they, they know how to use fantasy mm-hmm. because they're saying, you know, it, it's super hot while I'm masturbating and then the urge subsides. So I think that's a, a very complete uh, answer. Uh, yeah, I'm like trying to think, answer. am I missing other things? Here? No, no, that's really great. So I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I love chatting with you every time. I love following your work. Can you tell us how people can follow and support you? Yeah, definitely. So the best place is going to be on Instagram, which is at Taymocha, T-A-Y-M-O-C-H-A. And I always <laughs> have to explain this. Um, <laughs> it's Taymocha because I'm a cat lady and my uh, my first cat ever was named Mocha Joe. And I had her for like 18 years. We were super bonded. Mm-hmm. So I combined our names when I was little to make a nickname for myself. And I qualify this because most people think it's because I'm brown that I'm Tamoka. No. (laughs) Uh, It's a kitty cat. (laughs) Yes. It's because I'm a cat lady, not because I'm black. Uh, But Instagram Tamoka is the best place to find my podcast. Let's talk about it. Um, the best place to find my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Tamoka, uh, where I talk about, I do sex Q and A's. I do bachelor and bachelorette breakdowns. Um, and I share a bit of what I'm learning in my PhD clinical sexology program there as well. Um, but yeah, Instagram is the best place to kind of find all of those. I've got links in my bio for vibrators and porn and uh, anti-racism work. Uh, the Patreon and the podcast is all right there. Uh, that's a whole lot of everything. So anti-racism work as well as vibrators and they all go hand in hand because sexual justice reproductive justice are all tied in with racial justice and maybe we can discuss that another time i know you do discuss it on on your podcast as well so thank you so much for joining us very much appreciated yeah thank you and thank you for listening thanks for chatting with me today brandon awesome always happy to be here wherever you're at have a great week make sure to check out letsgetchecked.com You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.